Welcome to the Local Talks podcast, episode one, Building with Earthbugs. Welcome to the Local Talks podcast. I am your host, Sarah Kukiri This is the podcast where we have conversations about green design. So if you're interested in and passionate about green design, architecture, and construction in East Africa, then thank you for joining us. You are in the right place. Now, before introducing our speaker and panelists, I'd like to thank the Uganda Society of Architects for um, supporting this event. I'd also like to note that this webinar, as I've just remembered, is being recorded and in case you encounter any issue that's for people at home you can always rewatch it as well for the people here to consolidate their knowledge on what we're going to discuss today um so before i go into introducing our speaker i'd like to briefly dive into some background information the what why and when as well as a brief version of today's agenda so Local Talks is a series of quarterly events, uh, which means the sessions are normally held every third day of every third week of every third month of the year. Uh, so do save those dates. The next one will be in December, in the third week, on the third day. These sessions are meant to bring people together who are interested in and passionate about green design, architecture, and construction in East Africa. So they are curated by Local Works, and the, for the people who are physically here today, you are at the Local Works office. Local Works is a multidisciplinary design and build collaborative. It comprises of architecture, landscape design, civil and structural engineering, mechanical and electrical engineering, quantity surveying, and project management. And it also specializes in the realization of ecological architecture. Local Talks essentially fulfills the share aspect of the four building blocks of um, local works, which are research, design, build, and share. The aim of these talks is to create an open forum for the exchange of ideas, honest debate, and knowledge sharing, as you will witness today. In our first talk, we focused on a topic at a macro level by diving into building with earthbags. And for those who missed it, you can still watch it on the Local Works YouTube channel and listen to it on the various podcast hosting platforms. For this evening's session, we decided to zoom out in order to grasp the concept of green design at a bird's eye view. And after extensively looking through the Kampala Physical Development Plan, as well as the National Physical Development Plan for Uganda, we decided that there's no one better to present these two proposals than this gentleman right here, Professor Yigol Tazmir. So today we are so grateful to have you, Professor Yigol Tazmir, um, all the way in Israel, to speak in more detail about these proposals. We also have three panelists who are very competent in the topic of urban design and the social issues surrounding it. We have Mr. Silas Anguzu, who's already here, Dr. Ian Sekantuka, who will be here shortly, and Dr. Richard Irumba. So thank you so much for being here with us. Um, our panelists will speak 
for about five minutes each after Professor Hugo's presentation. We shall then have a Q&A um, after that to get the discussion going further. So if you're watching on Zoom, feel free to drop your questions in the Q&A box. If you're on Facebook, leave your questions in the comments. Um, and for those of you who are here with us at the Local Works office, please note your questions down. Uh, you'll be given a chance to ask um, any questions that you have. So thank you so much, Professor Eagle. You can start your presentation. Okay, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm talking to you from Haifa, Israel now. Um, I will start sharing my presentation. Okay. Okay. For the last uh, 10 years, uh, I am involved in planning in East Africa. Um, I was the team leader of three main plans. One is the Kampala Master Plan, and the second one is Uganda Nation Physical Development Plan, and the third one, which has um, terminated uh, like a month ago, was the National Plan for Rwanda. So from uh, a 2010 to 2012, uh, we prepared the Kampala Master Plan from 16 to 18, the NPDP, the National Planning Development, the National Physical Development Plan of Uganda, and then from 18 to 20, uh, 17 to 80, we, uh, we were engaged in the uh, National Plan of Rwanda. So my intention in this, in this uh, uh, presentation is to not so much to talk about the content and the details of the plans, but more on the, um, about the framework and about the implementation issues and about the main, main issues which are common to Kampala, the NPDP plans and, the, and also in Rwanda. Uh, I must tell you that um, the uh, national plan of, of Kampala of uh, Uganda uh, initiated with a very nice public uh, communication. It's very low. The sound is very low. Ah, the sound is low. Okay, it was an announcement in the radio talking about the special planning for, for inclusive, orderly, and sustainable development of Uganda. Uh, we could see that uh, it was uh, a, a mentioned in many, many places, including in the, uh, on the streets. You can see here the sign, and the, um, they spoke all the time about the, about the notion of let's do it together, and therefore, we uh, had along the two years, 18 regional conferences presenting the data, the ideas, the concept, and consulting with uh, the stakeholders 
the, the main ideas. So the plan was a circling around for two and a half years and uh, the, the, the action or the operation was uh, terminated in the end of 2018. And um, since then, it was not approved yet by the cabinet. To compare it to what is happening in Rwanda, for instance, we uh, finished the plan and we submitted it in June. And the end of July, the cabinet uh, approved it formally and it became statutory in Rwanda. So the main question is now, what is happening in Uganda in terms of approving the national plan, which was so much uh, uh, communicated and uh, every, every minister was involved in, in uh, like 18 to 20 conferences, including the, the uh, PM of, of your country. But this is a question which we can delay to the end, but before that, I want to, to raise some, some main issues. The main challenge in Uganda, like in many other countries in Africa, is the population growth. Um, <clears throat> population growth, meaning that in, according to the UN forecast in Rwanda, uh, we believe today that uh, you are like 40, 41 millions, and the forecast by the UN forecast uh, authorities is that in 2040, you will become a nation of 80, uh, maybe even 81 millions, and in 2050, more than 100 millions. This is a, a, main, a main issue and a main challenge in the country because this density will raise from like um, uh, 160 to 335 persons per square kilometers. And during the next years in 2050, will rise to 400 and more and more and more. And the country is limited in size, as you know. So a, there has to be a, a decision-making process saying what will be the population of Uganda, of Uganda in, in the next 23 years. And uh, we concluded together with the government that we have to plan for 75 million, assuming, assuming that the average annual growth will be 2.75% and not like today, which is 3.2, which makes uh, the growth uh, completely hysterical. Therefore, we started with trying to find the uh, to find room or to make room for pop a population of 35 millions 40 percent of them will be in urban areas and 60 percent will be in rural areas uh, today you can see in the black here you can see that 18 percent only of the total population are urbanized the others are in rural areas 82 percent are still <coughs> farmers and live in rural areas uh, uh, and their livelihood is, comes, of course, from agriculture. Now, if this is the, the, the focus for population, the main, main challenge of the task of the plan, I would say, is to make room for, first of all, for agriculture, secondly, for urbanization and industry. And this can be done in, in the framework of, of the entire ecosystem of the country, and we want to defend the ecosystem and defend nature in several places and in many places as, as much as we can, we have to stop wasting land. 
And this can be done <clears throat> by, first of all, agglomeration and clustering of settlements and activities. But the main issue is not this. The main issue is that we are pressed, high, highly pressed by the demands for urban land or for agriculture, uh, for uh, urbanization, settlements, areas. And this is going to be uh, coming from grasslands and wetlands. There is no other way to balance the uh, demand for, for land unless you take part from the grassland on, and, and part of the seasonal, maybe seasonal and even some permanent um, uh, uh, wetlands in the country. Now, if this is the constraints, the main constraints of the whole plan, the risk in the current situation and in the near future, and maybe even more, is the risk of sprawl. Risk of sprawl is the, I would say, the main, main problem of the country, because if you look around yourself, you see that people build wherever they want. And you see, for instance, here, the Nansana sprawl. You can see here in from the uh, a map of, of a chaotic growth in Nansana, in the north of Kampala. And there is an urgent need for physical planning, physical planning. Uh, and the idea of physical planning, uh, I, would, I must say, after <clears throat> so many years of experience in your country, is not still, is still not clear enough. Uh, what is physical planning? Physical planning is the art of creating all structures. Look at the watch or the clock mechanism here. The function is clear to create time or to measure time. And in order to measure time, you see that there is one of the parts of the particles has a function, has a role, and this is what we have to make in while the situation in Uganda, and not only in Uganda, is this. Currently, there is no structure. The setting is disorganized, formless, and chaotic. And therefore, when you look at this, you cannot create function. You, cre you cannot create positive activities or even to arrange the, the land or arrange the infrastructure for its purpose. And this is a very, a very uh, problematic issue in your country. You know, structure, uh, instead of agency, means that if agency is the capacity of the individuals to act automatically, uh, autonomically, and to make their own free choices, structure is against autonomy. Structure means that individuals are not free agents. They are dictated by social structure, and public good. And the problem in Uganda now is that the most, uh, the, 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 the agency concept of individuals is more, is, is, is more, is heavier than the public interest. When you compare these two, you see that the private interest is much heavier than the public, than the public interest. Uh, and this is not balanced enough. And it, this, is, this is coming from 
one of the notions saying land belongs to the people, which means the people settle where they want, still, in most places of the country. And when you fly over Uganda and you see the uh, endless sprawl of settlements, agricultural and rural as well as urban or semi-urban, you see that the problem is, is phenomenal, which means that individualism overcomes public interest. And this it has to be changed. What is public interest? First of all, you have to make an orderly permitted development by law. This is the public interest, first of all, in terms of planning and land uses, and then to enforce it. And, and the third one is enforcement. And the fourth one is also enforcement, meaning that in order to do development for the public interest, you have to make it enforced by the government everywhere, in every level of planning, every level of, of implementation. Which means that the mindset and tradition must be changed, of course, by education. What I'm saying again is when you look at this, this notion, which is sometimes even, even uh, declared by the president, land belongs to the people and even the ministers everywhere say the same. Well, the, the land belongs to people, but if land belongs to people, there is no way, there is no way to keep or to, or to uh, create the necessary facilities for the public interest. And uh, what I'm saying is, is crucial for the, for, for the future of the country. For instance, if you take this into development specifically, you can see that the orderly expansion patterns are, should be and are everywhere de uh, defined by two parameters. First of all, the boundaries and then the networks itself within the, the, the expansion. If, the, if you take, for instance, here the Mbale extension, you can see that without declaring, without defining the boundary of the new development and without making a clear pattern of, uh, of networks within, the, the, within the, the system, the chaos will continue. Now, the same thing is, uh, of course, uh, not only in urbanization, it's also in, in agriculture, because the main challenges in agriculture, first of all, 80% is still subsistence. The yield is very, very low. The continuous subdivision brings to uh, a situation in which farms are less than 0.8 hectares in, in average, which is very, very low. And the formless and chaotic land use patterns, as you see in the picture, continue everywhere. So if this is a situation, you cannot create a systematic and, and a, uh, economic development of agriculture. You need, the key changes uh, are needed. Uh, uh, for instance, big commercial farms, to enlarge the farms, to create new estates, to make it more commercial. And commercial and estates are a matter of organization. Organization and size. Organization and size. Now, of course, the need for orderly designed villages and farms. 
we have to stop the sprawling system of the tradition. Of course, machinery and technology is, is, is very important, but machinery and technology cannot enter without uh, orderly designed villages and farms. It is impossible to put in this chaos machinery like you see here. And of course, one of the most in, important issues, if not the, 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 the most one, but the, the bigger one, is the water distribution irrigation system, which are vacant, are not there till now, not in a in a magnitude which is which can give us the security for 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 a a good or high yields which are necessary. And of course, water comes the agricultural science and innovation and production methods. But without water, now and this current system spreading water, see here, cannot continue. Uh, for instance, things like you know, places like this, that you take water from, uh, you know, the reserves of some mud in, in different areas is, is, is uh, a, yeah, a problem. And uh, uh, the fact that in many places come some, uh, you know, uh, individuals will bring some help to villages by digging for them and by pumping for them water to the center of the, of the, of the uh, village is, is very minor still. I know this lady has done like uh, uh, this kind of work for 40 or 50 villages, but the number of villages is, is, is phenomenal. So you cannot uh, uh, support the whole system on the volunteers. Therefore, a system of drainage, uh, of uh, irrigation, Moving water from one place to another is necessary. Um, the the uh, supply of water uh, in uh, in uh, Uganda can be high because you have water. You have a lot of water. You have the aquifers. You have the Nile system. You have all kinds of uh, wetlands. You have a lot of water, but the distribution is minimal. For instance, when I when I went to Karamoja <coughs> to see what what's going on, I was shocked to see that the uh, drought there brought people to, to hunger and, to, and they didn't have even water to drink. They drank, they drank blood from the, the, the cows. Uh, and, and this was, uh, and the whole distance is like five hours drive from Kampala to Karamoja. So the, the, the main issue of infrastructure to bring water to, to different places of the country and to subdivide it into you know, areas which can be developed from the point of agriculture by putting in the necessary uh, water systems is crucial. Now about urbanization, and we are talking about urbanization in Uganda itself, the prime city syndrome, which makes the whole hierarchy of cities dependent on a giant and all the others are gnomes, is, cannot be, cannot be uh, continued. Uh, it's known now from the literature and from many, many research uh, uh, projects that we need a system which is hierarchical. So Kampala can be the bigger one, but there are, should be others which are big enough in the periphery, in other regions, you know, that to uh, create a distribution of, of resources, contribution of investments in the country. 
So if the country of 200 square, uh, 200K square kilometers and 80,000 pe million people in 2040 cannot be supported by one big city like Ampara. It's, it's, it is not uh, economical. So the agglomeration of activities into the regional cities is important. Therefore, we um, uh, developed uh, uh, different structures, alternative structures, and the one which is called option one, and you can see it on the left, <clears throat> was denied completely. And we created instead of that an option number two, which, which said, okay, Kampala is the bigger one, but there are others, main cities, which should be in the, uh, as a, act as a um, poles of economy and development uh, and big enough to, to grow in the region itself. Which means that we created a hierarchy of like six levels of in the hierarchy from the capital to uh, townships of between 50 to 100K. And we spread it in a map according to the potentials, according to the trends and according to the, the potentials from the economical, economical point of view in different places. Uh, one of the issues was Kampala, and let, let us uh, jump to Kampala. You see, Kampala, uh, uh, even in like 10 years ago and eight years ago, started a tsunami of, of uh, sprawl, sprawl, a tsunami of growth, uncontrolled, not formal, all over, and you see what can happen within a few years if this kind of tendency continues, you can see the red sprawling all around in this orange, orange uh, 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 patch of of distribution, and the urban areas cannot be uh, sprawling anymore. Therefore, we the main main uh, contribution to the concept of future Kampala uh, was first of all to limit the amount of GKMA to 8 million, the whole system around Kampala and the KCCA itself to 3.8 million, not more than that. Um, the way to do it, the way to do it is not by limiting the um, uh, growth of the city itself, but by presenting alternative cities for growth, like we said before. So the, it's not a matter of uh, pull factors. It's a push and a full factors together. And therefore, the idea of limiting the numbers of, uh, of the number of, of population in KCCA is conditioned by the development of other cities. So we had a list of cities and we said to the government, okay, start developing and investing in the periphery. Uh, as a matter of fact, I don't know if they started because I know from <clears throat> the government itself that they are going to uh, go into tenders of planning of like seven cities, but it takes time because they could have been done it like two years ago. And uh, I, I hope that they, they will start planning it now. The planning itself takes like like two or three years. So time is money time is 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 life therefore we have to hurry in order to create the the, the pull factors uh, in the in the regions now what we suggested for kampala itself is to create or to uh, uh, 
adopt the concept of what we call satellites, the metropolis of satellites. And then we have the existing one like Wakiso, Mukuno, Entebbe, the KCCA itself, but we suggested new satellites for the, for the metropolis. One is in the area of Sisa, and the other one is in the area of Nakisunga and Nigeria. Uh, and uh, we analyzed the entire potentials of the lands in uh, Uganda around Kampala, and we uh, identified these these uh, places, and everyone everyone was happy. But nothing has been done since then. Nothing has been done since then, and the sprawling process in Kampala continues according to what I know today. Uh, by the way, the um, system of world, which was very, very, is very, very important in terms of the growth patterns, <clears throat> was a belt and the radial networks, like you have in Moscow, for instance. And as a matter of fact, you started already to do it in the first belt, and then in the second one, and it's going to be to be very, very uh, rational in terms of the uh, how to to. Uh, develop the system. I am not going to go into it because it's very complicated. It's a full of details. It's not time for today. Now, transportation challenges, are, um, the main challenges is the National Expressways. I'm not talking about Kampala, I'm talking about the entire country. Uh, we need a passenger train. We need airports, we need cargo traffic. And all these was, um, of course, infrastructure corridors as well. And all of this was analyzed and we came with a suggestion of what we call the golden triangle of urbanization with the main roads in between. This is of course schematic, but if you can see all the, the, the yellow spots here are urbanization patterns in the, existing, in the existing situation, which will grow of course. Therefore, we decided to suggest to the city, to the country, a very simple pattern of a triangle which can connect all the nodes in the country and to create an, a system of expressways and trains uh, all over based on the concept of the golden triangle uh, by the way this is very nice in terms of understanding later on uh, in order to, uh, to clarify i would say the scheme because i think that the cognitive map of the development plan should be very clear to everybody including the you know, normal people from, from all over. And we, I'll go into it later on when I'm talking, when I'll talk about the logo of the uh, plan of Uganda. Now, green development, everything, by the way, till now is also, is, only, is, is, <laughs> is a matter of, of any green approach. Everything which was, which was mentioned till now, but more than that, we, we made a lot of emphasis in the environmental sustainability issues by two by two acts. First of all, the one the first one was to anchor all types of protected areas as statutory entities in the in the documents of NPDP. The second one was to define new bioregions in the country. And uh, what is bioregion? Bioregion is a sustainable entity uh, including the values of environment as well as economy together. And uh, the main, the main uh, example which we, I, I want to give you is this idea of the Nile 
Kyoja bioregion concept. You can see the blue, the blue form with all the <coughs> body, the, the, the body of waters, the water bodies around there. And this was defined in the plan as a bioregion, which will be a, of high level of biodiversity and ecological importance. It will be a potential for bioagriculture and ecotourism. It will have a combination of abundance of water and unique rural livelihood, very specific, and what I call human ecology, meaning to meet human demands for food, water, energy, and housing. All those together are parts of the bioregion idea. So in order to do it, you have to plan this bioregion. You have to keep it. You have to, to define the boundaries. You have to, to come out with rules of, of development and constraints, <coughs> sorry, and constraints, uh, 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 answering the question, how do we do these, these uh, challenges? How would we put them into, into uh, a, a proper development? And of course, uh, after we define this, this uh, internal uh, structure of the bio, of the bio region, and if you take into it also the urbanization in, in yellow and the other brown areas of specified agricultural uh, elements or sites or areas which are the most uh, proper ones for, for future development, we came out with a structure of the country, including the hierarchy of different towns and different villages. And uh, it can be summarized by a very, very nice scheme. First of all, you have this. Now, what is this? If you look carefully to the blue, to the blue um, spot of the bioregion of the Nile system, what you can see is that beyond the, 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 the triangle, you have something which is what we call the springbok, the national bird, which is the blue crane. Look, can you see the blue crane in the Nile? Compare, you see the legs here, you see the body, you see the neck, you see the head, you see the eye. So you got here a springbok, a blue crane in the country itself. It's not only simple in the flag, it's in the country itself. And this was a kind of a, <laughs> a new, a new uh, idea which people identified and therefore we have a logo. We have a logo of NPDP. The logo is the symbol of the golden triangle and the springbok as the Nile biodiversity area. And if you add to this, by the way, the triangle is not only roads, it's infrastructure and urbanization. One here, one here, one here. Well, so this is the uh, logo of the plan, but I want to uh, speak shortly about implementation. Without implementation, nothing is, uh, is, uh, has no value for us. And we, the implementation process should be part of the plan, and it is part of the plan, by telling everybody, the government, of course, that the implementation prerequisites or requisites is, first of all, a hierarchical planning. You start with national, you continue with regional, and then you continue with local planning in each one of the levels. 
orderly, orderly planned, national plan, regional plans, all the regions and the local plans, of course, for urbanization, rural areas, etc. The second thing is the hierarchy. By, by the way, if you look at the uh, elements of the planning, you can look at this scheme and see that Vision 2040 come first, then the NPDP 40, 2040, then the region plans, sectoral master plans for different sectors like agriculture, tourism, etc. Local land development plans, urban development plans, and all the other implementation and to structuring the, the sites themselves. The second issue is follow the rule of IC, ISC. We call it ISC because ISC is inter, interdependency, simultaneity, and compliance. No more segregated planning because when you look at the exit planning all over, you see what we call sometimes disjointed incrementalism, which means that you plan here and there uh, plans are not independent, they are, they are uh, interdependent, they are not interdependent, sorry. Uh, they are not done simultaneously, so things are not, are not compliant to each other. So if you keep in mind that interdependency, simultaneity and compliance are needed, then you create real planning for the country. The act of planning is, is crucial, of course. Now, the third thing in implementation is, of course, as we started, <clears throat> the political and economic ability to carry out acquisition and expropriation. There's no country in the world which develops itself to a proper level without this uh, acts of acquisition expropriation. Otherwise, no roads, otherwise no schools, no sites for, for infrastructure, and this is a problem. So the idea of carrying out by law acquisition, not only by law, but doing it concretely in each part of the country while planning and developing uh, is important. But then you come back to the issue of the country, the land belong. How can you um, bridge these differences between acquisition, expropriation, and for the for the good of the country, for the for the public good, with the notion of belong that uh, land is, belongs to, to, to the people. Land belongs to people, you have to pay for it, but people should understand that acquisition and expropriation is not for the government, it's for them, them for the people themselves. Otherwise, no, no services at all. And of course, uh, what we say, say here is of course to preserve the land for public users and, and do it as soon as, as possible. Uh, because infrastructure corridors are important, public services are important, national utilities, and this is uh, is going to 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 happen in each one of the of the levels, not only the national level, each one of the levels in one of the districts of the regions, of the of the of the cities or the towns should keep in mind that the infrastructure corridors in their their setting, the public services for schools and other things. National utilities and public housing, all of them are very important right away. And of course, uh, uh, I would say the last main, main issue is a very, very important idea of what we call the initiation of pilot projects. Uh, it means that all planning and all kinds of projects in every level should be demonstra demonstrated 
by pilot project. You have to make project in urban, rural, urban, and and general, uh, uh, you know, general projects. You have to uh, involve the ministries. You have to cut through and to show to stakeholders the initiatives and the investment, the investment needed, uh, and to show that projects can exist. And when you do one, for instance, in tourism or in housing or in agriculture, you can show that things can happen and people can adopt the success from the demonstrative project, from the pilot project, and go on with other projects as well. Thank you very much for this introduction. Thank you so much, Professor Yugo, for that wonderful presentation. By the way, uh, just uh, my name is Yigal. Yigal. Perfect. Thank you. Yigal. Yeah, and Iga, you know what Iga means in, in, in your language. Iga means knowledge. Ah, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, and my uh, my the show name is is Samir 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 okay Igal Samir thank you very much thank you great so I hope everyone can hear me and you everyone is on Zoom. Can you please let me know if you can hear me? Okay. So we're now going to move on to our panelists. Um, no, but this is on. <laughs> we are going to move on to our panelists uh, to get their point of view regarding this presentation.
present here. Uh, Sarah would have suggesting that uh, before I answer the specific questions, I could supplement uh, the presentation which has been made by Professor Yigao, Professor Knowledge. Uh, I will supplement on two areas. One, the Kampala Physical Development Plan also containing aspects of the Kampala Physical Development Framework. And then I also give some brief highlights on uh, the green infrastructure ordinance as some of the planning frameworks were following in the city. Uh, the Kampala Physical Development uh, Plan, uh, Professor has given uh, the bigger picture of the plan but as the theme of the day, I'll really give some brief highlights on uh, particularly the environmental uh, issues. I have a long history in the teaching. Probably, Sarah, you remind me, especially in terms of time, but I will try to summarize. Uh, the Kampala Physical Development uh, Plan, some specifics. The population target was 5.8 million during the implementation period that was from 2012 to 2022. Uh, the target in terms of built area growth was from 355 square kilometers to 485 square kilometers in 20. 22, representing a growth of about 37%. 
Then also in terms of the targets for this plan uh, was to maintain over half of what the extended Greater Kampala metropolitan area landmass as natural. So that was the plan that about half of the area should be maintained as natural. Then the densities in order to accommodate the population which uh, the professor talked about. The concept was the densification of the built-up areas and that the new developments that would come up would meet the density requirements which are spelled out in the plan. Uh, housing is a big challenge in the city because of the fast growing population. So the plan was uh, looking at increasing the residential units from 800,000 to about 1.5 by 2022, and the residential unit from 50 unit size on average from 55 to 70 square meters. Now, the environmental issues, focusing on the theme for today's talk, the Kampala Physical Development Plan uh, focused on uh, provision of piped sewage system and improving the groundwater quality. And uh, during this period, two major projects have been implemented. One uh, focusing on uh, sewage, uh, that's the Nakivubo Kinawataka sewer mine, which covered more than 10 kilometers in terms of linear uh, coverage. And in terms of water supply, uh, presently KCCA is uh, partnering with the National Water and Sewerage Corporation to implement the Katosi Kampala water transmission mine as a backup to the Gava Waterworks, which supplies the greater Kampala uh, metropolitan area. And the philosophy and thinking here, both in terms of theory, is that establishing a water, functional water and sewage system is the first key to building a sustainable city. Uh, in terms of wetlands, uh, the Kampala Physical Development Plan focuses on rehabilitation of re uh, degraded uh, wetlands as public open spaces and old sports facilities. It also focuses on conserving the natural wetlands. And it also focuses on the demarcation of wetland boundaries. And the, at the moment, we have uh, the wetland atlases available, the national wetland atlases available, not only focusing on Kampala or the greater Kampala metropolitan area, but even going beyond. Uh, government has done physical demarcations of some wetlands, not all of them, but some wetlands have physically been demarcated. And the a number of land titles which were created within wetlands are due for consolation. 
Then the other strategy of uh, conserving and protecting wetlands was effective development control. And uh, this is part of the mandate of uh, SCCA. And the uh, development control for wetlands on one part is through not granting approval of plants which are falling within wetlands. And secondly, uh, not to provide services, water, electricity, ETC are uh, in wetland areas. So that's part of the development contract. And then uh, uh, lastly, regarding the environmental issues within the Kampala Fiscal Development Plan, we have uh, managing the extreme climatic uh, events. And as you all are aware, as you are all aware, flooding is a big challenge uh, in the greater Kampala metropolitan area. And some of the interventions we have made in order to manage flooding, uh, one is developing a drainage master plan for the greater Kampala metropolitan area. Uh, secondly, we have developed a flood risk maps for the city. These are very important tools in terms of planning developments in the city, such that you can be able to assess the level of risk caused to the project you are putting up. And also in terms of drainage master plan implementation, we have some low hanging fruits, which amongst others include uh, the ongoing works, uh, improvement works, for Rubidi primary drain and the Nakamero secondary drain, both of them which are, are located in Kampala North. Then the other developments regarding master planning in the city, we're quite aware that plans are not passed in stone, uh, plans change. Uh, the Kampala Physical Development Plan was developed in 2012. A number of things have changed. So we have come up with a program of updating the Kampala Physical Development Plan with funding uh, by JICA. And the bigger project, this is one of the activities, but the bigger project is on uh, developing an integrated master plan for the greater Kampala region. Then the second part in terms of highlights is focusing on uh, the green infrastructure ordinance. So as cases here, we have developed uh, uh, a green infrastructure ordinance, largely aimed at managing and controlling the green infrastructure. And the green infrastructure we're talking about here, we are talking about trees, we are talking about vegetation, we are talking about green roofs, public and private gardens, uh, parks, uh, wood lots, wetlands, urban forests, agricultural land, ETC. So all those are uh, different uh, uh, elements I'm talking about constitute what we define as the green infrastructure in this audience. Uh, the Green Infrastructure Ordinance is a very good document. Uh, it's due for approval by the Kampala Capital Authority, the 
college OIN is actually on the agenda for tomorrow, uh, tomorrow's meeting. So we expect that by the end of tomorrow, it will be become a legal document, but it's addressing a number of issues, including the management of public open spaces, both the current ones and the new ones which will be created, private open spaces, private spaces in terms of plots of land, both developed and vacant, uh, parking slots, okay, parking lots, how do you plan for green infrastructure when you are designing parking lots, uh, management of wetland areas, uh, advertising has become a challenge. There are many upcoming, you know, advertising boards started all over the city, uh, which have a number of issues in terms of city management, management of trees, and a number of other areas contained in the ordinance. So lastly, I want to give some bit of detail in terms of private space management for various practitioners uh, regarding developments in uh, residential areas. Uh, the ordinance provides for the open green space plot coverage of a minimum of 40% of, of a plot. So 40% of a residential plot is expected once this is, comes into comes a law. Okay? So 40% of a residential plot is expected to be covered by green infrastructure. Then the tree coverage, we are, I think for residential areas, we're talking about a minimum of one tree for every eight square meters. In commercial areas, we are talking about uh, green space plot coverage of 10% of the plot. And in terms of tree coverage, we're talking about a minimum of one tree for every 15 square meters. So this is very important information for designers and planners. And then for mixed use development, uh, we have not set standards per se, uh, but uh, the standards we follow, we shall follow, will depend upon uh, the predominant use in the immediate neighborhood. And then in terms of industrial uh, development for light industries, we're talking about uh, open green space coverage of 20% and tree coverage of a minimum of seven trees per acre. And lastly, for medium and heavy industries, we're talking about green space coverage minimum of 35% and the tree coverage of a minimum of 13 trees per every acre of development. So those are the, some of the highlights I, I had prepared to supplement uh, what the professor uh, presented. So we had some specific questions you wanted to bring Yes, well in comparison with uh, what I'm hearing, is that you now have a new plan underway. Um, so what caused this plan to halt, right, in order for you to come up with new ideas? Uh, the, this plan is actually not on uh, hold per se. The plan is still running. 
But what we're organizing is that uh, between 2013 and 2020 now, a number of things have changed. And uh, the plan needs to be refined. So the plan is still operational, running up to 2022, but this project is meant to update the plan cover certain issues which have changed over time. All right, perfect. Thank you. Claire, do you have anything else to add on to that interview? Thank you very much. I have a few points that I want to make. Um, first of all, I'm an urban planner, and generally the profession of urban planning in Uganda is, I still consider it in its infancy. We were, I was in the second lot of urban planners trained at Macquarie University. And this course was suggested as a solution to the problems of planning that we experience. Consider also the fact that we have been facing civil war for a very long time. Since 1971, I think there have been no concrete. I was not yet there by that, by that time, but we have not had any coherent planning going on because it was regime change after regime change. So from 1986 is when we had some you know, stability in government. And so in 2001, 1997 is when the first courses, uh, were, the, the first batch of students were, were, were started off the, the, the course. So from that you can appreciate that we, the professional planning in Kampala, in Uganda, and I dare critique the profession that we do not have character yet. We haven't got an identity, and we are roaming without purpose, being driven by the winds of political change and tossed about left, right, and center. We have failed to appreciate our role, our central role in determining and guiding development. But this also we must consider, why are we doing the development? It is for the people. Which brings me to the uh, second point, that there is a clear dichotomy in the population of Uganda, which was clearly demonstrated by Professor Mahmoud Mamdan in his book, Citizens and Subjects, where he showed that they were natives and there was the elite, and they have different laws guiding them. And from Professor Digal's presentation, you are able to see that 80% of Ugandan citizens still stay in the rural areas. I'm sure most of you have gone 20, 30 kilometers outside Kampala, and you understand what it means to stay in a rural area. Many people say it's good, there is no pollution, but I've lived on the farm. Just getting a jerrycan of drinking water, we had to cycle about two kilometers away. So according to me, that is hell on us. And the fact that we're accepting 80% of our population to live under such circumstances is telling as to why we are failing to implement these wonderful plans that we're coming up with. As a matter of fact, Uganda has one of the best laws in every area, human rights. Mention it. But go to Kawempe police station. 
and see how a police cell looks like. Appreciate it. You will throw up. Because there are two categories of people. Now, the 20% who are living in the urban areas, again, 67% of those are living in slums. I'm saying in Boise. It's normal. It's normal. That uh, Lubiji, it is sewage, raw sewage flowing. And the smell flies, uh, goes all over the place. Half of the houses in Boise 1 are submerged. In Boise, they say, etakazikula. Either the houses have sunk or the ground has risen. But I suspect the ground is rising because of silts coming from the regular flooding. I have a lot of videos, but we don't know what to do with those videos anymore. We just keep them in our archives. Point number three. After appreciating the demographics that I've just highlighted, you need to look at the scale of the problem we're facing. The scale. Do we approach this matter piecemeal? For example, the Lubiji channel. Two weeks ago, I think, the president came and launched it. After cries of 10 years, 20 years, I had just finished my university. I was one of the people who worked on the Northern Bypass. But up to today, and that Northern Bypass has caused the flooding that is in place because it, it, it played around with the, the water flow. It has caused flooding in the whole of Boise for the last 20 years. And it is only after 20 years that a solution has finally come in the rehabilitation of the waterway, which I don't think is the solution. The scale of the problem needs to be appreciated. I don't want to say too much without first of all solving the first problem, which is the dichotomy that I mentioned. Until we begin to see every Ugandan as a Ugandan citizen, we are clearly wasting our time. Totally waste of time. And uh, I'm an urban planner. I've not yet worked in government. I've been in private practice also unemployed because my views don't augur well with what government wants. But we're saying we have to come back to the brain, but we cannot approach the matters the way we have always approached them. So when we talk about housing, for example, national housing built 4,000 houses from 1962 up to 1971. The NRM government, under the NRM government, they have built 1,800 apartments. And these 1,800 apartments, each is going for about, the, the cheapest is about 180 million. 250 million, who can afford that? So no low cost housing. So when we're talking about scale, we're talking about houses which a border border can afford. But as long as we continue ignoring the 67% of the people living in the urban areas, we're wasting our time. So coming back to Professor's last point, where we need to have a coherent, I mean, the plan has to be implemented at the same time. You cannot just implement drainage, and then you come and implement green spaces and put regulations, one tree per house, 
10%, no. We have to go back to the drawing board. After redefining who a Ugandan is, then we begin to state what kinds of conditions he needs to live in, what kind of houses he needs to stay in. Why say we are advocating? The people have given up their land. They want to sell it. We're saying, no, don't. Don't sell it. And sharks are waiting with sacks of money trying to buy off the land. The mistake with that is what is happening in Katanga right now. Without any proper sewage system, without any water, I mean, uh, physical facility, without any road network, buildings are coming up, 10 floors. Where are these people going to pass? How is the ambulance going to reach there? I don't know. It is becoming a multi-floor, multi-story slum. To deal with these matters appropriately, we need to go back to the plan that Professor has just outlined. Very beautiful. Raise down the entire Kampala. Raise it down. What, what is there? What, what is there? It's a slum. It's a slum. We need to start afresh. Boise has already given up their land. They are saying, please, guys, if you can come. I'm looking for money right now. I've been writing all over. Minister of well, uh, I mean, uh, Finance, please, we need $200 million. The land is there. Over 500 acres. The people don't have the money to build. If they're going to build, they're going to build another slum. So we need to take over that planning. So if we're going to look at the 57 different slums that we have in Kampala, then you can appreciate this. The scale we're talking about. That land is prime. It's available. And it is through these kinds of action, compulsory acquisition, expropriation, that we shall put these beautiful plans into action. Mass housing, dense housing, you know, open spaces, parks, and that kind of thing. You can now have the ideas that we really studied at school. But under the current system, I think it's not possible. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, Professor Yigo, we would like to give you a chance to respond to that. Um, we've had those views from our panelists. Do you hear me, please? Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay. Um, I would like to ask the um, about Kampala. Uh, beyond the uh, efforts to implement infrastructure, sewage, water systems, uh, some measures for for sustainable greenery in the city. What happened to the idea of the satellites, which I mentioned? And what has been done in the uh, area of, of uh, orderly planning of neighborhoods, including the, the city center? I think, Dr. Richard, you'd be the best person to answer that question. Uh, just give us one minute. Thank you, Professor Igor. Uh, it's true uh, when uh, you study the Kampala Physical Development Plan. It divided the Greater Kampala 
metropolitan area into 29 present areas. And the recommendations were quite clear that we need to develop for detailed neighborhood plans for those areas. What we have so far achieved may look meager, but it is something with the support from the European Union. Uh, we're in the final stages of concluding the, the neighborhood plans for precinct areas, including the Kololo, uh, Nakasero, uh, Mulago, and Makere. So those are about four pressings out of the 29 which were recommended. So it's a slow pace, but I could say the biggest challenge we have is that planning is one thing and implementation is another. You come up with a beautiful plan, the resources required to implement that plan are huge. And sometimes the assumptions made at the stage of planning in terms of resource mobilization, okay? Do not actually work the way how they are expected. So because of inadequate financial resources, we have only been able to come up with detailed plans for pro presence. And with this funding coming in and support coming in through JICA, we are going to pilot two other areas in terms of detailed planning. One area will be picked, will be selected from where the area under the jurisdiction of Kampala City, and the other one will be selected from areas outside the Kampala City. So that's what has been uh, what we have achieved uh, during this. Period. I hope that's satisfactory, Professor Yigo. Um, I would just like to actually convey my apologies on behalf of Dr. Ian Sekhatuka. He was out of town and he was not able to make it here physically on time. Um, so we'll therefore move on to some of the questions that have been asked here on Zoom. So the first question is from Bernard Achalam, and it's to Professor Kazmir. Would you rather we contain urban growth or we make room for it? How can the urban growth boundaries you noted in your presentation work in practice beyond the idea of developing satellite cities? Um, the question is not so so clear to me. Um, <clears throat> if I understand well, um, the question was about how to create boundaries for for the city or for neighbors in the city. Is am I right? I beg your pardon. Um, I, I don't. I'm not sure that I understand exactly what was asked. 
uh, I can guess that the question was about how to create boundaries um, to specific neighborhoods or to areas under development to prevent the sprawl to uh, the unlimited areas. And if this is the question, the answer is very Sorry, I think that each in practice. The satellite cities in practice. You see, the, the, uh, the initiation of a city, of a satellite city, should be done either by uh, investors who own the land or can buy land under the guidance of the government and the city. I think that to create a new satellite is a very important thing, very important. It can be a demonstration of how to make what we call a new city, a, a new Kampala, a orderly plan with, a, a highly, with high values of architecture and environment. Uh, and I'm, I'm curious why, at the first, at the first when, when each one of the you know, the leaders saw the plans, they were astonished, excited. They said, well, this is a good idea. So I'm, I'm, I didn't follow the, the efforts along the years, but I'm still not, I'm not sure that enough was done in order to uh, support the idea, in order to initiate it, in order to, to uh, bring uh, seed money to those areas and to create the, those, those uh, at least one of, of those two satellites. I think this cannot be done uh, spontaneously. It cannot be done by, by a, a few people who are interested. It, ha it is a, such a big move that the uh, idea should be leaded by the country, the government, in participation with the city itself. Fantastic. I'll just move on to another question uh, from Sheila Nyansamba. So she says that you spoke about developing orderly structures, which I think is something that you've touched on in your answer as well. But her question is that both in regards to physical planning and agriculture, with the development of these master plans, was the contextual setting of the people being planned for taken into consideration because sometimes implementation may fail due to imposing new and foreign systems that conflict with people's cultural and societal ways of life. How do we achieve inclusive design without inf involving the residents of these different areas? I'll give you an example about the rural areas and the idea of consolidating villages into modern village or villages or even townships. It's a matter of incentives. When you show people that you can, by moving them from one place to another and you know, agglomerating the farms into big ones, you can show simply that they can, their salaries or their uh, livelihood could be changed dramatically to a better one. Uh, 
instead of showing it, it has you have to make a pilot project of implementation by investing in a specific place. So the, the change of the structure of agriculture and the villages, which are spread all over, is by showing a place which can be a, a changed totally. And it's like, you know, you start a, 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 a movement by a leadership act. And then people say, hey, it's, go, it, it's very nice. We can, we can gain a lot if we participate together. So it's not a matter of talking, it's a matter of doing. It's a matter of concentrating in a demonstrative plan, in a pilot plan, showing everybody that these ideas are applicable. like to hear your opinion on this um, and what you think about this idea. Do you think that the plans are failing due to imposing new and boring systems on our culture? <clears throat> Actually, that, for lack of words, maybe, can I call that an excuse that people use to keep people in grass-touched houses and flooded homes? Everybody wants an apartment with a flat screen TV. Everybody wants hot water. Everybody wants an indoor toilet and bathroom. But they cannot afford it. Now, the government is in a very good position to implement these programs. But it requires a certain level of ingenuity. Because you're not just going to bring Rocco to come and construct in Boise. An apartment will come out at 500 million. And there are such apartments I've seen in Kampala here going for 600 million. We have to be clever about this. Look at the income levels of these people. How much money can they afford to, for a mortgage? If you're going to build apartments which are going to be paid for in 10 years, how, how much can they afford? Maybe 300,000 tops. So I think the government, the planning authority, the implementation authority need to think outside the border. Kind of and look at, first of all, look at these people as people and then find ways of implementing this. I can tell you, if you talk to an architect right now, they will tell you a square meter of flat is 750,000 square meter. So if you calculate an, a, a small two-bedroom apartment, we're getting 30 million shillings for an apartment to 35 million to 40 million tops. Why is it that we're not able to do this? It is you who can do it because you have the power. You can reach the minister's office. You can reach the president's office. But the most important thing is the people on the ground. They want these services. They need them. How do you lead the development process? How do you bring these services to the ground? How can you start planning for Boise? For example, I told you 57 slums are existing in Kampala. This is the biggest opportunity for redevelopment we have because they are very easy to buy out. Very easy. Easier getting land in, in the slums than in Intinda, where each house can go for 500 million. In the slums, it's much less. So I think, yeah, it's it's about scaling, scale to understand the, how we can approach the problem. Yeah. So, Richard, any feedback? Yes, it is. Uh, inclusive planning is quite important. The traditions of planning 
we are following are a borrowed from models of planning in the developed countries. So probably there is an, uh, a point which uh, the person of Shila actually writing that it's not always correct that the, the planning approaches we follow should be borrowed from the West. We need to try as much as possible to incorporate our cultures, even when we talk about housing. Okay? We can borrow the, the design and you know and schemes which have worked in other countries, but it would be important even in terms of construction materials, in terms of design and everything also include incorporate the local cultural practices. So she has a very funny point. Uh, where I can't tell you with certainty is the extent to which okay, this bias is affecting the implementation process of the plans we are having. But certainly, it's a valid idea which we need to be in consideration. Have a question from the audience? Yeah, thank you. My name is Felix. I have uh, one question for, for Professor Samir and two questions for Dr. Irumba. Um, on, a, on a national scale, uh, Professor Yigal, I found it very interesting how you have explained the, your, your plan. Um, one key aspect, obviously, is make, letting other cities grow in a controlled way rather than uh, only Kampala. I, I'd be interested to hear more about that in the sense of how do you actually make other cities attractive? You, you, you made an interesting point to say it is not about um, limiting growth of one thing, it is rather making other places more attractive. Now, obviously, attractive means uh, creating livelihoods. Um, creating industrialization, creating economic growth. Um, I, I'd be very interested to hear more about how one typical pilot project uh, could look like. Um, you know, what, which, which of, which of a, which town could be selected, and what would need to be done in order to make um, this vision work. And to Dr. Irumba, my 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 two questions are: You mentioned that the KDB PD from 2012 needs updating and uh, works apparently are ongoing to update this. I would love to hear why. I, you, you said things have changed. I would like to hear one, two, three examples of what has changed that made the plan from 2012 already in such a short time to, um, to, to basically have to be updated. It seems an awful short time to me. And uh, the other um, comment I would like to hear from you is on a topic that you haven't mentioned with one word, and that is mass transit, mass transport. Um, we all know that Kampala is choking um, of, you know, because of the lack of mass transit. And we know that the Kampala physical plan uh, includes the ideas of a bus rapid transit system. And we know that there were some ideas of cable cars and stuff like that. We know that there is a design for a BIT system and nothing is being done whatsoever in even implementing a pilot project. Why? So maybe starting with Professor Tsang. Thank you very much. Um, <clears throat> uh, you are asking 
starts with economy and you have to every time when you design on such a project you have to put seed money from the government you have to to decide what are the advantages or the relative advantages of a specific city or a specific region and what can be done there and after after you know that you have the um, possibility you have the, the uh, um, process uh, excuse me please excuse me please for one one, one more I'm I'm very I'm very sorry because it, there was a disturbance there um, so the, the whole the whole art of preparing or, or a, uh, a building a, a growth pool in a peripheral city has a, a lot of, uh, of a lot of um, you know methodologies all over the world. It's not a new a new thing. It's we don't have we don't have enough time to start to define uh, what is the way. But keep in mind that the incentive for creating such a place is always by investing by the government a seed money to start the operation. And then people, instead of going to Kampala, the migration process keeps at the place. People move from, instead of moving to Kampala from the villages, they move uh, from um, a, a neighboring uh, 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 villages to the city, which is uh, declared as the growth pole, the new growth pole in a specific region. But you don't have to do it only in one city. You can do it at the same time in different areas at the same time. So the it's a matter of the state of mind. It's a matter of how things are happening and what is the the uh, how do you communicate the uh, uh, stakeholders, the citizens, and uh, how do you um, drive them into the understanding that the local uh, situation can be improved. The whole idea is to limit the, the migration processes from all over the country into Kampala by putting initiatives there. I hope I'm 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 clear. Can you hear me? Yes, that was very clear. Thank you so much. Um, let's hear from Dr. Richard Irumba. Uh, mass transport. I agree fully with you. One of the biggest challenges we have in the city. Infrastructure. 
And if we continue using the current modes of transportation, we'll have a very, very, very huge challenge. Even when I was coming here, I was not sure that I would reach you on time. And yet I left uh, the SEC offices, which, is, which are hardly maybe three kilometers from here. So I left KCCA offices at around a quarter past five, but I was able to cover three kilometers within about 45 minutes. Now that's not been effective in terms of movement from one point to another. So certainly it is uh, an inevitable reality that we need uh, to adapt uh, mass transport systems. What have we done and what are the challenges? Uh, one of the schemes we have designed is what we call the bus uh, rapid transport system, the BRT. We have developed, we developed actually designs more than uh, seven years ago. We developed designs for the BRT system. But one of the bottlenecks towards rolling out the BRT system is the land acquisition. Because if you are going to create separate lands in lanes for bus movement, it means that you have to acquire additional space beyond the current way for vehicles, which we are having at the moment. And because of the history and the culture how we have built in this country, we have ended up with constrained road corridors. So my implication is that if we need additional space in order to implement the BRT system, then we have to acquire and the land and pay, and pay compensation to all those who are affected. Now the assessment of the costs are too heavy, making the project not cost-effective at the moment. Uh, what are the other issues, other strategies we're having? We, yeah, we are going to do it in a, a phased approach. There are corridors where space can easily be acquired. So we're going to proceed to implement it in a phased manner. Following certain routes within the city. I may not give you details, but we have specific routes we have selected. We are going to implement it. And we are going to have a pilot project funded by African Development Bank, where we shall acquire uh, the area planning was about 150 buses, but uh, that could be revised as we move towards implementation, and we pilot out the concept of building wider corridors for bus lanes in some parts of the city, and the science of operating running such a system. It's not only about creating infrastructure, but there are many more issues we need to look at to implement uh, a mass transport system. But uh, we have a bigger plan, what we call the multimodal transport master plan, and the, among us other strategies, we are proposing promoting uh, NMT, non-motorized transport, and we have already piloted, if you have gone through the center of the city, we have already 
uh, constructed, you know, corridor for non-motorized trans uh, transport, running all the way from Namirembe up to Endeavor Road. In very good arena. So I think quite a good for a beautiful piece to look at when you go to the center of the city. Then the second one, which was the first one, the um, why the need to update the Kampala Physical Development Plan in a period of uh, eight years. I think that's a long period. The unexpected lifespan of this plan were, were 10 years. So if we are talking about uh, updating after about eight years, I think it's a mature plan. But uh, to answer your question in terms of specifics, a number of things have changed. As Professor indicated, one of the biggest challenges we have in Uganda, not only Kampala, is the rapid population growth. Some of the projections and estimations which were done at that time are no longer valid at the moment. The reality has turned out to be different. So, so the population growth has actually grown at a much faster rate than expected, because causing a lot of pressure on the resources we had expected to put in place. Uh, infrastructure projects, a number of infrastructure projects have come up which were not earlier anticipated at uh, that time. A typical example I could give you is the standard gauge railway project, okay, and the, the concept of establishing uh, an, uh, a railway system within the city, okay. Then, uh, in terms of administration and uh, of the greater Kampala metropolitan area, you are aware a number of cities have now been created. That was not anticipated at that time, okay? at least in the form it has happened. Okay? So that brings in another dimension in terms of planning. Uh, you are earlier probably thinking about Entebbe municipality. Now we're talking about Entebbe city with a much bigger area than what was anticipated at that time of planning. So a number of things uh, uh, have changed. Climatic conditions, I could say the issue of flooding, uh, the scale of flooding we experience now is surpasses what we had anticipated at that time. Okay, so a number of things have changed and we need to put all those matters into consideration and uh, the best way of doing that is to update the planning framework we have at the moment. May I add something to the, uh, the previous explanation about the growth poles? One sentence. And the sentence is very simple. Take Hoima as an example. Because of the oil. Can you repeat that we discussed you at the beginning. Uh, I'm saying that just to add to my <clears throat> description of the growth pole, I want to give the example of Hoima. Uh, this is a good example because of the uh, oil and the uh, future development of industries in this field of uh, oil production and uh, uh, the airport, which is the, uh, a very important uh, development catalyzer, Hoima is going to become a big city. And 
there are a lot of um, circumstances there and data and a lot of conditions which allow it, the city, to become a real growth pole. And this is a good example for other places in, in, uh, in Uganda too. Thanks. Mine is a contribution, uh, but also I'd like to pose a challenge, I think, to practitioners and those who have louder voices than some of us in, uh, in some forest. Yeah, so I will speak as a resident of Kampala for the last 30 years as a practitioner um, in the built environment and also as an employee of the regulators. One of the challenges that we face is that um, planning tends to be tipped onto one side. And um, we, in order for us to say our city works, we'd like it to work in terms of transit, in terms of housing, um, in terms of services, in terms of health, the air that you breathe in, um, trees and green spaces. And uh, um, right now the house is, when it's an engineer at the round table, he will lobby for his roads to get done in that area. And therefore at that time T, the scales will be tipped towards the focus on roads and, 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 uh, and transit. When it's an architect who might be at the table, he may tip it towards the need for housing, let's have uh, maybe 10-story buildings, 20-story buildings, get more people crammed up into one space. If it's a water engineer, he might have it tipped towards the fact that get more pipes into that place. And we need to get to that point where we think about things holistically. Just as Silas suggested, when you look at Boise, it's not enough to get UBG cleaned up, but what is going to happen when the over 1,000 people there still do not have toilets to go to? You're going to end up with, you know, sort of some uh, steps that you'll have to repeat all over again. So I think it's a challenge for all of us to, and also Professor Yigal, who seems to have a good experience also, you seem to have a voice with uh, some of these authorities in the plans that we're doing. Uh, and incidentally, you pick out on Hoima. I think if you went into Hoima, yes, the airport is being done, yes, the roads are being done, but what happens to the other things that need to be put in place for a city to work? Dr. Irumba also, same thing. How do we get to think about things holistically? And whoever is lobbying at the round table, if you're at the round table, lobby for all the sectors because a city has to work in all aspects. Um, and also Silas, amongst the practitioners also, planning needs to be comprehensive, completely comprehensive in every sense of it. Thank you. I think let's start with 
Get a comprehensive plan, a comprehensive development, and, and again, the what we call the disjointed increments of planning is the enemy of of development. We need always to keep in mind that all issues together have to be dealt at the same time simultaneously. Uh, otherwise, there is no chance to improve what's happening in the, in, the, in the present. You have to deal with the, with the um, uh, people, with their needs. You have to look at the, at the, at the, at the uh, ecology, you have to look at the economy, you have to look at the housing. You have to, each one of the aspects in each level of planning should be, should be comprehensive. Fantastic, thank you. Let's hear from Dr. Irumba and Mr. Silas. I fully agree with the observation and the suggestions made by Pamela on the need for holistic planning. The case of Wise is coming out strongly. We're improving the infrastructure in the wise Salam area. But what about people's livelihoods? Because one of the biggest challenges we have in the city is poverty, poverty levels. So you improve the infrastructure now, what next? Okay. So I agree with you fully that we need uh, a holistic uh, planning approach towards planning and development. Of course, I'm aware government is tackling both issues, physical infrastructure development, the social economic issues, including poverty. But the challenge is that the two don't move at the same speed. Okay? You find that the speed at which physical infrastructure development is moving is not at the same speed at which the other interventions, the social economic interventions, are being implemented by government. So one ends up lagging behind the other. And that lag is quite part of what causes confusion in the system of, you know, implementing the various strategies by government. But in principle, I agree with you fully that we need a more comprehensive or holistic approach towards yeah, planning and development. Thank you very much, <clears throat> Dr. Rumba. Yeah, you, you mentioned a very important point. That's the whole essence of the discussion that we're having right now. That uh, Wise has a population of about maybe at least over 5,000. Over 5,000. And it's also a commercial, commercial center. The biggest timber depot is Wise. If you move industrial, we have industrial area in Wise. It stretches all the way to Kalere. It's huge, but it's not formal. It's, it's, it's potholes and everything. It's, it's a slum itself. 
And ever so often there are fires which come because people want to take over the land. So here is what I would do if I was to, I think we need another forum to be able to discuss uh, this, this other aspect of implementation properly. Look at that ring road, about three kilometers from the city center, covered by swamp, very valuable land. Aneka is going for about a billion shillings. We're looking at Kamocha, Kifumbira area, Kambwaise, turn around, you know, it's very expensive land. How about if we started with that? We are proposing a Bwaise Silicon City, self-contained, everything within. You don't need to come to town. I hardly come to town, by the way. Opposite the road, there's Centenary Bank. Down the building, there's Diamond Trust Bank. Across the road, there's uh, KCC Division Headquarters. The other side, there's a market. Beautiful environment. Beautiful. The, the neighbors, awesome. It's packed with, I mean, it's, it's full of life. But if we ignore the local person, if we ignore the local person, and we talk about development as just physical planning, you know, there's a difference between physical planning and urban planning. In urban planning, we're talking about the relationship of the built environment with the population. So if we talk about physical planning, you're going to alienate the entire population. None of them will afford the buildings that you're going to build. In fact, unless you're going to build for them storied huts, you're going to have to displace them. So we have to think. We, we, we want to maintain the community. We want to keep these people there. And we want more people to come. We want engineers to come and settle in Boise. Boise is on the Northern Bypass, connected to Entebbe Airport by the Entebbe Expressway. 20 minutes from Entebbe Airport to Boise. During the lockdown, we drove in about 15 minutes. I was in Boise. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. Awesome. Why can't we have this? So we have this idea of Boise Silicon City, one kilometer away from the Macquarie University, the third biggest, the third, I don't know, best or biggest university in Africa. Industrial, Kawempe is also an industrial area. It is self-contained. So what we're thinking about is a transit to the city center. Within three minutes, you should be in the city center. I myself, I left Boise at 5 a.m. It took me an hour, we came together. We arrived at the same time. Took me an hour coming here. So, think about it holistically, comprehensively, while considering the people also, the housing, then you'll actually see a magic development, a magic developing. That's when you see the Kampala that we aspire to. Something magical, something out of this world. But it is doable. The money is there. One billion dollars is enough to build all the houses we need in Kampala if we borrowed it. And Ugandans will pay for it and return it back. So we need to sit down in another forum and discuss. I think this is the best forum that we have. I've had personally, I've enjoyed it, I appreciate it. It's going to take us to another position. Thank you very much. Thank you so much and thank you for those remarks, uh, Mr. Silas. We have uh, due to time, we have room for one more question from the audience, then we really have to wrap up. So a bit of competition, you push the hand up first. Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, my question goes to the doctor. Uh, I wanted to ask uh, what measures are being taken. What is the matter of the local man, the KCC? The matter? Matters of the local man of, of Kampala. Because 
one thing we have to accept all of us here as people from Kampala and Uganda, Ugandans are very stubborn people. have to accept that, right? As designers, as architects and engineers. So I feel that before we go into these really great ideas, I really commend them. We should really go down and look at the local man, the border, border guy, as we said, they can't afford those 500 million um, apartments and all that. So if we can have measures that look at people's side, because we have to look at the cultures, right? But most people have the concept that culture is in the old days and the drumming of the, of the instruments and all that, but culture is our way of life, right? So we have to look at how the local man of Uganda lives his daily life, from the lowest man to the upper. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. For thinking about the local man, it's good you substantiated because the question I was having in my mind what does the understanding of the local man? But when you added some attributes, then I understood the local man you are talking about the border border the street vendor, you know, the market attendant, you know, window market, you know, in the Waisa market. Okay? That's the local man. If you have noted, you know, we learned along the way. Okay? In the 2012, Say between 2012 and 2014, KCCA used to be, I could say, fairly abrasive on the local market. Okay? So we saw many street vendors leaving the street. There was a plan even to remove border borders completely from the city. You know, there was little consideration of. Uh, the local man at that time. But the strategies have changed over time. And we have learned as an institution. Okay? So many of the programs we are implementing now, we have the local man at the back of our mind. Uh, for example, market vendors, you have seen a number of projects who have come, come up with to build modern markets in a number of uh, in a number of places in, in the city. You have seen them one again market. We are building one in Obsega. Uh, we are going to build one in Kitintale. We built we acquired land and improved the Usaf market in Kiseni area. So the whole strategy was to create working spaces for the local market. Uh, in terms of housing, you know, we have been battling the issue of policing because uh, at some stage, I think it should have been 1992, there was a shift in terms of housing policy for housing provision for the government being a direct provider of housing for, to government being an enabler of housing improvement. So which relegated the government 
to the role of uh, policy for development, policy implementation, creating a conducive environment for the private sector to participate in housing development. But one lesson which is coming out clearly is that that has not solved the housing problem, particularly in providing low-cost housing or affordable housing to our population. So there are some programs we are coming up with. Uh, others are about to mature where we are entering into partnerships with the private sector to provide uh, affordable housing, particularly in slum areas. You know, uh, uh, to come up with slum improvement programs focusing on housing for, uh, for the poor. So there are a number of areas and interventions we are coming up with largely targeting the urban poor. There are many examples I can give. Okay? We are promoting urban agriculture. Okay? All of those are programs I am targeting the urban poor. The ones you are calling the local the mind. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. I'd like to invite architect Stuart Poland to give the closing remarks of this event and to thank our panelists and our speaker. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, our panelists, and thank you to our main speaker. Thank you to our audience here at the square for joining us for this evening and, and all you at home via Zoom and via Facebook. It's been a really informative evening, certainly for me personally, and it is now my role to somehow wrap up this evening. Um, and really, when I think about everything I've heard this evening, there are two very different ways that I could now conclude. One is a very pessimistic one, and one is a very optimistic one. On the negative side, you could say, we are in a situation where this country grows so fast and the population grows so fast that there is no way we are going to win this battle in the sense of planning, in the sense of um, infrastructure. We have seen all these unbelievable figures in, in Professor Eagle's presentation of a country that will more than double within just 20 years. A, an urbanization that has to reach 30 million by 2040 when we are currently at three. Um, unbelievable figures there. We have also clearly discussed the issue of different plans that are in place that do not talk to each other, the lack of synchronization of plans. I remember that myself from my own professional experience where I was once involved in a, in a building that clashed with the future um, flyover project and then when we talked to KCCA, only KCCA and JICA knew about it. When we talked to Ministry of Work, they had never heard about that flyover. So there's a complete lack of the different players actually talking to each other. And then of course, um, Dr. Irumba has mentioned it, there's no money anyway. We can have great plans and we can have wonderful designs, but we have anyway got no money to implement all that stuff. 
So this is all very, you know, negative and very, um, very pessimistic in a way as an outlook. You could also look at it completely different. You could also look at it in a way um, that the presentation that Professor Yigal has made to us, which really uh, did the, the national side as well as the city side. And in both cases, you could actually see that what they did there, they applied proper planning methodology to a problem. That is what planners do. That is what designers do. They look at the problem and then they try to come up with solutions. There's not much emotion in there. There's not much pessimism, pessimism or, or, or destitution. It's just a problem that needs resolving. And I, I thought there are some great ideas there on both levels, on the, on, the, on the national side where we look at actually developing other cities, developing transport corridors, and developing bioregions, which I think is wonderful. And then on a cityscape where we really look at satellite cities, where we look at mass transit, where we look at additional satellite cities that are currently not there and trying to do it all in a very you know, well-considered way. We have also heard from Dr. Irumba, for instance, on the BRT system that I'm personally very passionate about, there's actually something happening. That is wonderful to hear. I can't wait to see some, even, even if it's just a small pilot project, to see something happening. And then we have heard from, from Silas, there is some Silicon Valley growing in Bryson, which we're all looking forward to, you know, to seeing soon. So overall, I must say that us as designers and planners, and most of us in our forum are somehow in that, in, that, um, in that bracket, I think we'll end up choosing the positive and the optimistic side because that is our job. Our job is to see problems and solve them. And it's very, very difficult to solve problems with a pessimistic or a negative mindset. So I want to thank all the three contributors for everything they've contributed this evening. This forum local talks as a, as a quarterly event is really meant for anybody who is interested in the issue of green design in the, broader, in the broadest sense, sustainable design. It is a, it's a local event, but it's also through the internet, it's also regional. We know we have many participants from outside of Uganda and we're very happy about that. And the last point I really want to make this evening is that this forum that we are trying to create here is not our forum. It is not our forum as local work. It's our forum. All of us, all contributors and all um, attendees of this um, event, please use this as an opportunity to talk to each other. And please do talk back to us. Give us feedback on whether you enjoyed it or ideas you have. Give us input in terms of future events. If there's anything that you are particularly um, passionate about that you would like to share with colleagues or friends or other professionals, Local Talks is your event. And I invite you to communicate to us via all these channels that we have, email and, and social media. And with those words, I would like to close the, the event for this evening. And I'm looking forward to seeing many of you again uh, in December for our next event. Thank you so much. May I, may I add one sentence to the audience? One sentence, please. May I add? May I add? Go ahead, please. Yes, uh, you know, um, here in Israel, in this coming Saturday, 
we celebrate the new year. It's the Jewish New Year. So I'm uh, using this opportunity to wish you all all the best and a very, very, very good year without, without Corona. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye, everyone. For more information about these talks, do head over to the Local Works website or subscribe to our mailing list. Both these links are in the show notes. Do share this episode and subscribe to our podcast.